Starfleet Escape Podcast. Prepare for launch in 3, 2, 1. Enjoy the ride. Welcome to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network, where we escape into the Star Trek universe. This is episode number 93 and is being recorded on March the 2nd, 2019. Today's topic, Spectral Scans, Discovery, Season 2, Episode 7. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. This podcast contains spoilers for Discovery Season 2, Episode 7, Light and Shadows. I'm Eric Dewey. I'm Aaron Gallo. And I'm Eric Barry. This episode is sponsored by Revenge Lover Designs and Illustrations. Stand out from the crowd. For more information, visit revengelover.com and mention the podcast for 10% off your order. How are you fellas doing today? I'm hyped. <laughs> <laughs> too, me too, now that we're finally doing this. Been a podcasting morning for me. I've been nonstop since six forty this morning. Ah, I've had those days for sure. Between editing and recording, then editing some more, and all that fun stuff. So, yeah, yeah. Speaking of which, I I owe you an episode later today. So awesome! I yeah, look forward. Yeah. But I, I'm good. How about yeah. you, Aaron? How are you doing? Better than last week, so that's that's a good thing. Doing a bit better than last week as well. Got some had some health issues in the family that have started to get better. Work isn't as terrible as it has been, but yet discovery was still the highlight of my week. I have to say, so I'm glad that uh, we're sitting down and talking about it. Yeah, it was actually a good episode this week. <laughs> good episode, I think, but uh, we'll we'll get there. Um, I believe we have some some pretty decent news to discuss, though. Indeed, Discovery officially renewed for season three, and co-showrunner Michelle Paradise is announced. Yeah, evidently, I read the in the article on Variety. It said that she actually came onto the show as a producer and a writer. I think. Yeah, and it seems to be this episode that we're going to be talking about is the first without Aaron Harberts and Gretchen Berg. Yeah, uh, you know Aaron Harberts and, and Gretchen Berg gone. Uh, as of this episode, it'll be very interesting to see how not only how the rest of this season plays out, but how also like a new co-showrunner will come into the picture. Yeah, it will be very interesting to see uh, how this all plays out. I'm really pumped for the rest of this season after this episode, especially. I mean, obviously, I've been pumped for this entire season since the end of last season. But now, uh, after this episode, I'm especially pumped to see where they go with this. Good on them getting somebody else to to come in and step in and help out. You know, so it's not just one person. I like the idea of more than one mind working on the show. Star Trek Discovery, at least for me, has had this is the time I've seen the most producers on a show <laughs> like it's just this stream of producers well all you need for a producing credit is to throw some money at it so essentially those could just be people that invested in the mm-hmm. show and then so that means they get a producer credit and they get you know whatever piece of the back end they negotiated through cbs to get from they might get a certain percentage of new subscribers they might get a certain percentage of you know they might get a certain amount based on ratings or downloads or streams or whatever you know that but they get something out of it they they put money into it they get the credit and they get something out of it if it succeeds mm-hmm if I had extra money lying around, I'd I'd get my my name on it. <laughs> oh, I I'd want to be tied to this show because it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't just throw money at anything. I I'd, I'd pick something that I liked and then be like, hey, 
could you guys use an investor? You know, <laughs> I, I win the uh, multi-million mega lotto, whatever. You know, you'll see my name on some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> when you make it big on the double wheel. Yep, exactly. So next up, Hanel Culpepper will direct the Picard pilot, making her the first female to direct a pilot episode of Star Trek. It's actually kind of surprising to me that she would be the first, but then I I guess it's just not something that... I've never really paid attention to who the director of the pilot specifically of each Mm -hmm. Star Trek has been. And, you know, obviously the ones in the 60s, there was no chance at that point that a female director was going to get that. But I'm kind of surprised that it hasn't happened since then with everything else. But you only get one pilot per series, so I guess, you know, that makes... That makes sense. So, so good for her. Um, I think that's going to be fantastic. I'm really pumped for the show. So I hope that it gets good treatment. And she's no stranger to Star Trek because she has directed two episodes of Discovery. She directed Vaulting Ambition in oh, season one. Was and, a good one. Yeah. And she's directed an upcoming episode that we haven't seen yet for season two. And she directed um, Counterpart on Stars, uh, episodes of Shooter for USA, and the upcoming Nosferatu, which stars Zachary Quinto for AMC. Nice. She's also worked on major network shows like How to Get Away with Murder, Gotham, Criminal Minds, and the award-winning American Crime. Actually, continuing with the Picard news, Jonathan Frakes, TNG's Commander Riker, has confirmed he is directing an episode on the Picard series. Uh, I have such a good feeling about this show. It really sounds like it's going to be fantastic, and if if Frakes is jumping on board too, like, uh, you know, we already know that Patrick Stewart was not only willing to do it but excited to do it. Now that we have Frakes on board as well, like, oh, uh, I just feel like this is going to be just a fantastic show, and I cannot wait. I don't. I not only want him on board for directing, I want him to reprise his role as Riker. Yeah, no doubt. There's no reason why they shouldn't. I mean, I, yeah, they say that this is going to be a not, we're not seeing Captain Picard. We're going to be seeing Jean-Luc Picard uh, either post-Starfleet or in a timeline in which he never was in Star. They haven't really been 100% clear on that, but obviously Starfleet still exists. And therefore, Riker would still exist, you know. And he's captain of the Titan. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Even if it's just a cameo like Janeway had in Nemesis, where it's just on the view screen, I'm down for that. I'm still fine with that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So let's jump into my favorite part of the show. Would you buy it? I'm going to go with no, personally. Not because it's a bad item. It actually looks pretty nice, but it's not the type of thing that I would typically purchase or collect. And at the price it is, that's uh, a little bit more than what I tend to budget for collectibles. And the fact that if you buy one, you know they're probably going to put out more and you're going to want to buy the rest of the crew as well. So um, I could see this being a big money sink really quick if you if you started to collect these. I'm going to say no, although I do really dig it. If someone were to give this to me, I would not complain. Okay. Mr. Barry. Uh, I mean, I love the character. I don't like the price point, And I agree with Eric. This isn't something I normally collect. Right. 
And if I were to, I don't have the space for it. It looks super cool. And I know the company that this is from, they always do amazing work on these type of products. Cool to look at, but I'm not going to buy it. I see. I have to echo Echo. your comments. I probably wouldn't buy it. I do have something very similar to this, but it was given to me. I didn't actually purchase it. What we're talking about is Star Trek Discovery Lieutenant Saru Mini Bust from Gentle Giant. This is via Entertainment Earth and cost $99. This limited edition convention exclusive mini bust of First Officer Lieutenant Saru is hand cast, hand painted, and hand numbered and includes a certificate of authenticity. I believe these next numbers are in inches. Uh, height, nine and a half inches, width, six inches, length, six and a half inches, and weight, just about two pounds. So it's a fairly heavy figure and good height. You know, I'm thinking nine inches, that's a good, a good tall little bust, and it looks really nice. But again, 100 bucks for essentially something that you're going to just sit on a shelf or a desk or something like that. And again, if you, you, you go down the road of starting to collect something like this, you want more. You know, they're going to put out other characters and then you're going to be like, oh, that $100 turns to 200 and then 300 and then four. You know, before you know it, you've got the entire crew and you're broke. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or uh, if you're a fan of Saru and just collect Saru merchandise. Oh yeah, I, I would go. I would go Saru all day if I was just collecting a particular character. And this is such a great likeness. General yeah. Giant does like the face scanning stuff, handcrafted stuff. So they have fantastic artists, and they always make amazing busts. I've been a fan of their work for years. I just don't own any of it, but they nailed the likeness here. Yeah, it really does look beautiful. I mean, it like I said, if this were gifted to me, I would be grateful and, you know, not be like, oh, why'd you give me this? It's just the price point puts it a little bit out of my uh, budget for extras. And this is something that would just be extra. It doesn't actually serve a purpose other than to look at. So I, I wouldn't be able to justify the cost, basically. But it is very nice. Um, if you've got the extra spending money and you like Saru, uh, I wouldn't tell somebody else not to buy it right mm-hmm. cool so on with the show let's do the episode summary here burnham goes to vulcan in search of spock where she unearths surprising family secrets and researching what is left of the red angel signal over kaminar pike and tyler end up in battle with time itself Giorgio has a few tricks up her sleeve for leland and section 31 this was a great episode i thought i my list of likes is about a mile long on this i'm gonna have to talk like the uh, micro machines guy when we get to to my likes on the bright side my dislikes list is actually very short and to the point so um i will let you two take the lead and i'll just write off uh, uh your comments and interject when when necessary i think we're all in agreement that this was a pretty fantastic episode I mean, our, our range is all similar. It, it's on the higher end. This was a definite improvement over last week. A significant improvement, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I dug the use of the echoes, echoes, not only for like the time dilations, but also with the flashback scenes with Burnham and Spock 
when they were children. I think you mean time echoes, because um, everything sounds cooler when you put time in front of it. <laughs> One thing that I don't have it as a like or dislike, but we didn't have a last time on Star Trek Discovery. I noticed that as well. It just jumped right into you know, I, the of Michael Burnham. I also noticed it, but they used her personal log as the recap. Right. And I actually appreciated that more. And mm-hmm. I think it might have been because of the short runtime of this episode anyway. So it was a nice way to circumvent the typical last time on. Yeah, I appreciate it more as well. I kind of would prefer it done this way with various characters doing it. Um, I think it would be pretty cool. Yeah, I think it would be better this way in general as well. This is not the type of show where somebody's probably going to jump into one episode in the middle of the season. And that's what those previously on recaps are normally intended for. So I prefer this type of thing where let's just give a brief recap with one character talking about what had just happened. And that is more than enough. And then get into the story. Definitely. Next, uh, Saru's confidence and seems to be working to his advantage now like uh, as an example when the shuttle goes missing he's like all right guys let's do this kind of add to which i appreciated i think it worked better in this episode than in previous episodes i agree in this episode he seemed confident and competent instead of cocky and all-powerful Mm-hmm. So, you know, he knew what needed to be done and he knew the best people to do it. It wasn't him doing everything. It was him assigning tasks to the specific people who would know what to do with that information. And they showed that by like when he told Reese to look for certain things. And he's like, because that could be the shuttle. Like he knew. And he like, so Saru knows the talent that's available to him and is using it properly. That is how that's how a captain should act and i think he's learning now that he's got pike as an example instead of uh lorca i think he's he's learning a little bit better how to be a captain right and in that scene we have a mud reference which i thought from last season which Love i thought it. was good yes continuity i i'm glad they didn't sweep that under the rug and especially when dealing with time travel, yeah, they've experienced time travel a couple times last season, so very much appreciated internal continuity. For sure. Next, the revolution that Spock had a learning disability and came over it. I thought that was an interesting aspect of the character that we've never heard of before. Yeah, it it's something that wouldn't... like. I don't think this violates continuity or anything. It's... No it gives depth to his character because that's such a personal detail. We would only be able to find that out through family. Right. And I wouldn't find it out from Sarek or any of the Vulcan side of his family. It would, it would have to come essentially from Amanda and that's where we find out from. And it makes just Amanda a deeper character because we know from the original series that she was a teacher. So it kind of fits all together. I just really like that this even more humanizes Spock. Mm-hmm. And right. I, I'm glad that we continue seeing Spock dealing with his duality. And Aaron, I know Spock is one of your favorite characters. So what, what did you think of this revelation? So I think it's cool. Like in other episodes we had, so having Spock not only dealing with mental breakdown and seeking help, we have him with a 
disability that he's able to overcome, which other people can relate to. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a good thing because it will make people be like, hey, Spock, the smartest guy in Star Trek, is like me. And look what he did. He was able to overcome this and become an awesome, smart dude. I can be that dude, too. Uh, so I, I really appreciated that. And I hope we have more of this inclusivity where we have people with mental illness, disabilities of physical and mental, and bring it into Star Trek. Like we had the guy with the visor. We have Arium who is augmented because of some reason. I don't think we've been told why, but there must be some kind of disability or something that happened to her uh, where she needs this mechanical exoskeleton going on. So I really dig that. Yeah, I I completely agree. That's a great way for them to bring in some of that, uh, like you said, inclusion to to bring more people to the table to show them that, hey, your future is not set for you based on what you can't do. You know, there's always stuff that you can do and whether or not you have to physically overcome it yourself or whether or not you need some help from other people or some help from some kind of device. It's okay. You will be accepted, you will be included, and you will be a useful, productive person. Yeah, because, I mean, in other versions of Star Trek, everyone is, I don't want to say perfect, but they're the best of the best. We have, you know, a dashing captain and a crew that is pristine, or they look pristine, um, and this kind of brings it back down to reality, and I'm a fan of that. Absolutely. Next up, I really like the new understanding that Pike and Tyler have. Mm -hmm. Oh, and that just comes off our discussion last week. I'm I'm so glad that they wrapped up this aspect of of the series. Yeah, I have that on my likes list as well, um, specifically that we're seeing a good middle ground between Pike's original attitude that I thought was out of character... And then the next episode, he was, like, way too lenient. It was like, it went from full-on hatred to just a, uh, I kind of don't like you in one episode. And in this episode, we kind of saw that good middle ground where we kind of get an explanation of why he's so hostile toward Tyler. But then we also get that kind of resolution where he's starting to realize, okay, I'm not dealing with Voke. The per- you know, Voke is the person that killed Culver. This is Tyler. Tyler didn't do that. Voke did, and he's going to have to come to terms with that, and that's something that I think Pike hadn't fully done yet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in this episode, they kind of got him to that point where he's starting to let go of that. It made more sense in this episode than in the previous one, where just suddenly he was just like, oh, I just kind of don't like you, but they were just still sitting and talking cordially, whereas in the previous episode, he was like, you stay on the bridge, you do what you're told. Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, dang, <laughs> you know? So, yes, I completely agree. This new understanding between them and this kind of kind of brought those two versions of their relationship into a middle ground that makes sense, whereas before, neither one really did. Mm-hmm. So I dug that. I really liked that uh, time echo, echo where we have uh, them on the shuttle and Pike turns around and he sees himself firing at Tyler. And, and that gives us the impression like, oh, crap, 
stuff's going down later on. <laughs> and then we see that it's really he's trying to save Tyler. Um, yeah. So I really like that. That goes back to my use of echoes that I, I dug. Yeah, um, I, the fact that the the creature that was trying to, to strangle Tyler at that time wasn't in that echo, probably because at the time that the echo was being seen, that thing hadn't existed yet because it was still 500 years out. So it makes sense in a twisted sort of nonlinear way that he would only see them. He wouldn't see the thing that he was shooting at. So he's just assuming that he's just shooting at Tyler. I, I thought that was a really great scene. The way he like he's looking, he's like, does that mean I'm going to do that? Like do I need to, is that something I can change? Like what's going to happen? That's going to require me to do that. And then he has to like put it out of his head and be like, you know what I need to deal with right now. Can't deal with then I got to deal with now. Continuing with the shuttle. Oh, so actually them, their interaction in the shuttle really reminded me of Reed and, and trip, uh, from shuttle pod one fantastic star Trek enterprise episode. Yeah. So, I mean like them having to deal with each other and a, life or death situation in confined space on a shuttle i think is a good motivator <laughs> so <laughs> i i, I, I really dug for sure yes yeah so i i dug that and it, it just made me think of that episode and i i dug that but continuing with the shuttle i really liked their like blast shields that came down over the uh front yeah someone was like uh, but you know they had that in voyager okay voyager with Endgame, those were like replicated ablative hull armor. These these were metal panels that that came down. Yeah. Like it's yeah. totally like a, different technology. Yeah, this was just a, a shutter like you would see at a convenience store in a bad area of town. When it closed <laughs> you know, it's just it's just a garage door that goes down over the front because they just have they don't have a view screen. They have a window. Right. And if something's blowing up, you know what? You want something in front of that window to protect it from getting broken. Because if that window gets broken, it's not just like, a, oh, man, my windshield got broken. It's a, oh, man, I'm getting sucked out into space and I'm going to die now. And, and it's, not, know, it's, it's not it's not like these broken. it's not like these shuttles have really great shields or anything. Right. Yeah, no, these aren't meant to be like oh. fighters or anything like that. These are just meant to be transportation. So the only they probably don't even have weaponry, or if anything, they have maybe just a, a small phaser bank. They probably don't have any capability of you know surviving in a firefight. Right. Know what I really hope, and what makes sense is that this technology or this uh, shutter blast shield, the bridge should probably have that as well for their huge view screen window. They might. We just may not have seen it. Yeah, I, it, it I, I think I, down when they're in a fight because they need to see what they're doing. But I don't know. think we'll see it unless it's total dire straits. I mean, starships have like deflector shields and the the dish and so much stuff before you get to the bridge window. I'm pretty sure they'll probably have something like that too. Yes, Plus, I, we we have to hope that they at least close the shuttle bay door before they put a screen over the view screen in the yeah. Can, oh. Will they ever close that damn shuttle bay door open? It is open every time when they jump out of warp. When they do, it's like the via the the visual effects team forgot that hey, you can close the shuttle bay. Like it's just that is my biggest Star Trek ship complaint about With Discovery. It's that damn close your shuttle bay door. <laughs> when they showed that scene from behind the ship, uh, oh, they showed it, and I saw the shuttle bay was open. I'm like, oh, Eric's going to say something about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
I hate that. It's every time I see it, I'm just like, oh, close the door. I mean, the only explanation I can think of is, you know, they did have that one scene in season one where they show Stamets and uh, Lorca in the shuttle bay. And it was a really great scene. And the view they get by standing in that shuttle bay and just looking out behind uh-huh. the ship is amazing. <laughs> I, but yeah, see, I also remember I, all the time. I also remember in the first season, we got a brief shot of it opening when it came out of warp, but it's like it got stuck. And they never fixed it. Low, low priority. I, I guess. The chief engineer is MIA. Maybe he's been working on that this entire time. The entire time the chief engineer has been working on getting that shuttle bay door unstuck. That's why we've never seen him or her or it. I mean, I, I guess someone just thinks it's really cool to be able to see the shuttles in the shuttle bay when they in every exterior shot that they have. Yeah, artistic choice uh, that I'm not a fan of either. But my final light that I'll mention here is uh, Sarek trying to hold back his emotions. Oh yeah, Pr- mm. pretty powerful uh, considering he's a full-blooded Vulcan. Yeah. So I mean that that was a pretty uh, powerful scene where he's saying that he, he isn't prepared to lose both their children in one day. So I that was pretty emotional, and I thought it worked very well. Yeah, I agree. I have that on my list as well. Sarek trying desperately and just very mm-hmm. narrowly succeeding to control his emotions in that moment, but just you do see it. And the actor uh, has been so good about portraying Sarek as this very master of his emotions. And so for him to show just that brief glimmer, then have it right back under control, I mean, just fantastic acting in that scene as well. Just... Oh, yeah. Fantastic scene all around. With one exception that I'll talk about when we do get to our dislikes. All right. Actually, Mr. Dewey, why don't you give us your likes? All right. I've got a long list here, so I'll try to go through them fairly quickly, although we have talked about a couple of them already. But I love this episode. I I watched this episode four times yesterday. I mean, I literally watched it. And then I fixed myself some lunch, sat down and watched it again while I ate. And then a few hours later, after I had done some errands, I came back and I sat down and watched it again and made notes. And then later that evening, my wife was on the phone. So I put my headphones on and I watched it again. (laughs) Well, the episode was so short that that's pretty easy to do. Yeah, it was only a 40 minutes runtime, but it was a packed 40 minutes. I, I really dug it. One of the things I really liked was the rapport between Michael and Pike seems to be growing. I really like the, uh, the interaction between them. They show her packing her bag to go to Vulcan and then her asking if she can have leave. And he's like, you already packed your bag, didn't you? And she's like, kind of <laughs> like, I would never do that without your permission, sir. Like obvious sarcasm. And I, I dug that, that he's cool with that and that he like understands their rapport is just absolutely wonderful. Yeah, uh, speaking agree. of rapport with Pike and other crew members, I love that Pike totally accepts Tilly as Tilly. Like she, did, she <laughs> is not trying to change her. He is not trying to calm her down or mellow her out or anything. He is fully accepting of her. You know, she comes in talking about like these these readings are freaking amazing. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, and and he's like, well, let's see if we can get a little bit more detail beyond freaking amazing. And then you know the. <laughs> the stuff anything sounds cooler with time in front of it he's like we're about to enter the rift oh sorry time rift (laughs) (laughs) i I just love that that whole interaction between them the fact that he is he understands her value she knows what she's doing yes she's a little hyperactive but again that's as you spoke of the inclusion of someone who would probably be diagnosed adhd in our time but she's doing all of this 
complicated work, even though she obviously has this kind of twitchiness about her, but they're accepting it and they're moving on and she's still able to do her job very, very well. So I, I'm digging that Pike is on board with Tilly because I love Tilly. So the uh, Vulcan set designs, everything mm-hmm. about Vulcan was beautiful. The planet we saw yes. meaning when she lands, their house the architecture of that house, I want to live there. I want that house <laughs> so bad. It is just gorgeous. Just all the design features, everything, just so beautiful. Just the, the open spaces and then the way they have the, uh, the like, slats. Yeah, and I, assuming are probably positioned so that at certain times of the day it's shaded and at other times you have light coming in, but not, like, direct, like, burning sunshine, but, like, a nice natural light. It's just everything about the Vulcan set designs from the when she's flying in and you see this the busy city, their house, and then the Katra Stone Cave, everything was just beautiful all the way around. Loved it. Speaking of Vulcan, we actually now are getting to see the start of what we heard in previous episodes of Spock being Michael's little shadow, as they said, mm-hmm. where the only background we'd seen before was him slamming the door in her face. We we're like, what are you talking about? Little shadow. Like he hated her, but now they're as we hoped. And we had said before, like we hope they do more flashbacks of little Spock and little Michael, because we want to see how this relationship grew. And now we're seeing that, you know, her trying to do the Vulcan hand sign and him helping her with it. And, you know, talking, you know, that, that whole scene was a beautiful way to kind of tie in how they ended up being much closer and so now it really, it even more so makes me want to know what she did to push him away. Mm. It had to be really bad, and we still don't know exactly what she did to make him hate her so that, you know, she th- thinks he, she was protecting him. But obviously, you know, it had to have been super, super bad. <laughs> so right. we also see Amanda just being the best mom ever. I mean, just from the fact that she, you know, recognized his learning disability and helped him through it, even though, you know, he was basically being an outcast because if he was fully Vulcan and had that problem, they would have worked with him and fixed it. But because he was half human, they're like, eh, forget you. We're not going to bother. So she had to help him do it. And they show that. And I think that's amazing. And the fact that she's willing to defy just about anyone or anything or any entity, any authority in the universe to protect her child Mm. just absolutely beautiful the way she portrays amanda in this and the the way she's protective over spock it's uh it was it was wonderful i'm like i want amanda to be my mom (laughs) i suppose i felt it was a little overprotective especially since like she could tell that he needed medical attention like maybe she should have like grabbed a doctor or someone to see if they could do something for him. I can understand that, but at the same time, she knows that, you know, everyone on Vulcan, everyone on the Federation, and Section 31 want him for murder. (laughs) (laughs) So she thinks, you know, it's kind of like one of those things, like, yeah, you know, you get a gunshot wound, you need to go to the hospital, but if you do, they'll call the cops, and then you'll get arrested or whatever. You know, it's kind of that situation. Like, she's weighing, okay, yes, I know he needs help, but... She's still thinking back to when she helped him originally, so maybe she's thinking that she can do it again. And in the meantime, she's trying to – she does not want him to get taken in by any authorities because all they're going to do is lock him in a room 
and not try to not try to fix him, not try to help him. Mm-hmm. They're just going to lock him in a room and throw him to the throw him to the wolves, basically as a murderer. And we still don't know exactly what happened there. You know, we we saw the preview at the end of the very first episode where we see him attack some doctors, but we don't see him kill anybody, and we don't see you know all we have is you know Starfleet and Section Thirty One's version of what happened without any actual details. So I think that that's just a mom being a mom and trying everything to protect his future while thinking that she has the ability to help him through his current crisis. I give her a pass on seeking a doctor because maybe she doesn't know a doctor on Vulcan or that she can get to right now that would be willing to see him without telling. Right. You know, we don't know that she isn't looking. You know, maybe she's out there trying to find somebody that would be willing to come and help him without tattling. Mm-hmm. But I don't think anybody on Vulcan would. I don't think there's right. a doctor on Vulcan that wouldn't immediately turn him in. Right. Uh, as we talked about, we got the good middle ground between Pike and Tyler. Love that. Um, Pike once again showing that he is the best freaking captain ever. He is very, <laughs> like he is directly underneath Picard on my captain's list already. And this is episode seven. <laughs> you know, not only is he willing to take on the dangerous missions, but he's also able to recognize his own failings, and especially when they're presented to him, instead of just brushing it under the rug and being like, okay, you know what, I'm not going to address this. He, he went to Tyler and he said, you know what, some of the things you said were right. I have been feeling guilt over missing the war, and I have been giving myself dangerous missions in an attempt to make up for that. You called me on my crap, and I'm owning up to it. And that's something, again, that a great captain or a great leader of any type would do. Mm-hmm. It's recognize their failings, admit to them, and then work on getting better. That's that's what we need to see next is him recognizing that he's doing that and not doing it. So we'll see if that happens in future episodes. But it seems to be the, the direction that we're going. So, But I yeah, I, I just I really like that notion that that he is trying to have this sense of bravado for missing out on the war. It just makes him real. Like, you know, usually these captains are so above reproach. I think that's what makes Star Trek a great series is is humanizing someone at that level of chain of command yeah it, it feels like pike needs to prove himself but at the same time we know he really doesn't because he's already one of the most decorated captains as we saw last season when saru w- was trying to emulate some of the best captains in starfleet mm-hmm. but it shows that he still has self-doubt and uh yeah i i'm i'm totally with you pike is amazing yeah, I'm digging the heck out of Pike. Um, we talked about Sarek and his emotions already, so I'll skip over that. Leland, oh my gosh, this guy is a master manipulator. You can see that every time he talks to somebody, he's telling them exactly what they want to hear. Mm-hmm. And he comes across when he needs to as this gentle, caring person. He's like, oh, we would never let anything happen to your brother. We want to we want to help him. I'd really love to let you stay on the ship, but, you know, it's procedure we just can't i'm so sorry you know and but in the meantime he's actually preparing to just extract his memories and destroy his brain but we also see that emperor giorgio is a bit of a manipulator herself and is working against uh, leland to try to take control i think of section 31 because i mean why wouldn't you think that she'd want to she was she went from being an emperor to being just uh, agent of Section 31? No, she's not going to be happy with just that. She wants to rise to the top, whether it's the top officially or just the top, as in, I know everything I need to know to be the shot caller. That's what she tells him, right? That, you know, she's like, you're not calling the shots. I know too much about you. You think you're the captain, but 
I've got you by the balls, and you know it. Um, I think the interaction, we're going to see him fighting back, I think, and I think that is just going to be epic. Just the the battle of wills between Leland and Giorgio is going to be fantastic. Speaking of Giorgio, we're also seeing that Giorgio still has this major soft spot for Michael, and we're starting to get little glimpses into why that is. I really hope that we see for real why. Um, you know, we, we get kind of a hint that she is going to tell Michael at some point why she's so protective of her. You know, it kind of worked to her benefit in this time. She, you know, she said, you know, you get Spock. That's good for you. I make Leland look bad. That's good for me. And, you know, so she's still manipulating the situation, but you can tell that she's got, she's got, there, there's some sort of feeling there that we don't know about fully yet that I hope that gets explored. Mm-hmm. Um, we also see... Stamets showing Tilly that he fully and completely trusts her. Despite all the crap he gives her on a daily basis, he is always on her case, but he, I think, is just trying to make her better at her job. He's constantly pushing her to be better, and she responds to that. She, you know, we've seen that she kind of responds to that kind of, not necessarily tough love, but I, I, would, I would call it more of a, a firm direction, you know, and mm-hmm. as someone who has ADHD would need. You, you need that focus, in order to get past that type of problem. So I think that he's hard on her because he knows she has the ability, and we see that in this episode, that he tells her, I wouldn't let just anybody be me in and out of time. I want you at the controls. I don't want somebody else. Yeah, Stamets is pretty... He, at first, has that tough exterior, but he's like a softy inside. And we kind of saw that in the, the other time travel episode that we saw first season with him and Michael, where he spends part of that time loop like you know dancing with her and and uh befriending her so i i I really like the softy stamets (laughs) instead of the you know hard ass stamets i i love the duality there i love the fact that when he's working and when he needs work to be done he's focused and he's hard and he's he's not he's a little mean but not like super mean but it's like i said it's kind of a hard decisive direction as opposed mm-hmm. to just being you know for some people you can just give him a task and be like okay do this but we see that when it comes down to it he does trust her and he believes in her abilities and again i love tilly so anytime one of the other characters loves tilly that makes me happy so <laughs> <laughs> that fight scene between michael and Giorgio. Yes. Oh my goodness gracious! Seeing that the the Susmana style of fighting versus Michelle Yeoh's kung fu, uh, I could seriously just watch that all day. Just <laughs> them fighting, and if they were both going full out, I think that would be a fight that would last some time. I I, I really like the choreography of this scene. We got to see Michael's full-on Susmana Vulcan martial arts in full swing, and I, I love that sucker punch in the beginning. Even <laughs> before, I mean, Giorgio didn't even get that sentence out, and it was just like, "All right, bam!" I loved it. I loved the whole interaction between them this episode. Uh, I loved that when uh, Giorgio got her back uh, from the sucker punch with that with that blaster shot. Uh, yeah. phaser shot and <laughs> and she just kind of like shrugged like Meh. <laughs> it was just perfect character interaction and i i really love little moments like that I, I concur yeah that whole that whole scene was just wonderful um speaking of i mean just the direction the cinematography and the score on this episode once again just absolutely brilliant yeah, just enough of the kind of trick shots with the with the rotation and stuff like that where it was it fit in 
without being distracting. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes they they overdo it. Sometimes you, you get way too many of those weird angle, twisty, going from upside down to right side up or backwards shots. Sometimes it can get a little distracting when they do it too much. I thought they did it just enough in this one to make it interesting without being distracting. Mm-hmm. And uh, certain shots, uh, specifically the, the one that caught my eye, so to speak, was the transition when we see the, the three dots that are, you know, hacking or whatever area and they like zoom into her eye and then it transitions from that into the the bridge or whatever it is of the section 31 ship that was just an amazing shot and i just like every time i watched it, i'm just like whoa that's cool i like that um those are just a few of the things i liked about this episode (laughs) (laughs) just Um, a few eric berry was there anything that we didn't touch on that you like that you wanted to to bring up no i just like i said i really appreciated the little moments in the episode as someone who can't do the vulcan uh salute um i really appreciated that michael was struggling with it and spock helped her i thought that was a cute moment really love that interaction there and i hope we get uh, as the season progresses and they try to uh, maybe rehabilitate spock uh, i hope we get more flashbacks and moments like that. So, uh, the, again, it was the little moments that I really appreciated. One of the, the really great things circling back to Captain Pike was he got that vision of him shooting Tyler, but there was no context. I like that he reserved judgment in the moment that it was happening and he fully realized what was going on, that he did not see the arm in that vision. It was a really subtle moment for Pike that shows his quick thinking in a very stressful situation. And I loved some of the mysteries that uh, this episode presented with the future probe and more regarding uh, time travel. At this point, just because of Burnham's log, we clearly know that they are speculating that it is someone from the future in a highly technological suit. So we're getting answers, but we're also getting more questions. And I feel that is really keeping the pace of the season long mystery. I think any good show will do a good job of something that lost failed at years ago where they kept piling on questions, but answering nothing. And I, I think, if there's I think, a smoke monster in Discovery, oh, so help God. me. <laughs> I mean, we had a tardigrade, but I just appreciate that Star Trek, the, the writer's room, are continuing to answer questions while giving us new ones. So th- that was one of my big takeaways from this episode. But overall, I really agree with all of your guys' points. We're really on the same page with likes. Well, we are a critical bunch. So even though we really, really liked this episode, there were a few things that we didn't like. So Aaron, why don't you uh, start us off? What didn't you like about this episode? So again, with this weird turbo lift sequence. My God, please get rid of it. It is it is nonsensical when you think about the size and scale of the ship. I, I, like- I hate this visual effect. Were those like worker bees in the background? I, I don't want to think about it. It's It's BS. It was just so weird. It kind of reminds me of the like, dis- the discovery is not a TARDIS. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's what I was gonna say. It my God, me. this ship is so flat in parts. There is no room for this empty void where all this stuff is happening. Please stop and get rid of it. I hate it. Yeah, I I actually agree with you guys. The first time we saw it, I 
liked the kind of glimpse in just the fact that we see, because in previous treks, all we've seen of turbo lift is almost a standard elevator shaft, which doesn't make sense when you know that it moves in three directions. It doesn't just go up and down. But what they're showing us here makes even less sense. <laughs> so it's while it was a cool effect the first time and it was just brief and I, I thought it fit the scene well then, I think that's all we ever needed to see of it, seeing it again like this, especially with, like, we know there's enough space for these worker bees. Like, that's what it looked like to me, too, was that there were worker bees. They may have been smaller versions of worker bees, but still, where is all of this? <laughs> it reminds yeah. me of uh, Galaxy Quest where they have built the ship completely on what they've seen on a TV show. And so there's entire sections of the ship that just make no sense whatsoever, but it was on the show, so they had to build it. Right. So I, I, can, I can imagine some race somewhere getting Discovery and like trying to build this ship and trying to figure out where to put all this turbo stuff. Uh, <laughs> the, the, they, they need, they need a technical advisor or something on this because... I mean, it's a cool-looking effect, but there is no practical way all that crap fits in the ship. I hope so many of the Star Trek YouTubers who I follow that kind of speculate and talk about this stuff, I hope they tear it a new one, because show me, take a screenshot from that and show me where the hell in the ship that fits into, right. and, I, and I'll shut up about it, but there is no way that is happening. If there was a worker bee... That is completely ridiculous. Get the hell out of here. That is <laughs> dumb. I was hate it. Something that looked like one flying around there. Like uh, said, no version. There were multiple one? worker bees, dude. No <laughs> sense. I, I uh, mean, on a technical architectural scale, you cannot have that much empty volume in a starship. I, I, mm -hmm. I mean, what a phaser goes through there and the whole thing decompresses. Get out of here with that. Oh, I hated it. I hated it. Someone just look at a Starfleet technical manual, like from Next Generation. They are tubes surrounded by walls and machinery and Jeffrey's mm -hmm. tubes. Ugh, I hate it. Right. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, but as, as someone who loves Star Trek technology and starships, this mm -hmm. infuriates me. Right. No, I completely agree. That's why it's my dislike. <laughs> It's not a dislike for me. It is full-on <laughs> hate. Hatred. <laughs> Let's step away from that. <laughs> no mention of Cybok again. I, I, I'm I get that. okay with that. Like, I <laughs> get that it's Where is not Amanda's kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I guess it's not Amanda's kid, and that's why it wasn't mentioned. Like, our, you know, I don't want to lose both our children on the same day. I get, I get it. I wanted someone to say, oh, what about Cyborg? Or, you know, something. But that's, that's <laughs> oh, what about Cyborg? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel like Cyborg is, that was from a another baby mama. It like, was. <laughs> it was. That, well, I know that, but, but like, Sarek just does not want to talk about that first relationship or something. Yeah. Or, or, do we know for sure if he knows Cyborg exists? Well, Spock knows he exists, so I'm assuming that he does. Spock knows he exists uh, later on, but maybe he maybe he hasn't found out about him yet. Uh, and maybe he got this girl pregnant, and then she disappeared, went and had this kid, and I don't, I don't know. I'm just throwing out possibilities. I yeah. It won't honestly bother me too much if they don't bring Cybok into Discovery. However, it would be cool if maybe in season three 
maybe they bring Cybok in and make him a good character because mm-hmm. it wasn't <laughs> when we saw him. It would be it would be interesting if they if they turned the character uh, into a good like they did with Pike, like they turned a just generic male macho captain type from the '60s into this amazing, awesome captain that we're seeing now, while still keeping like I went back and watched the Cage mm-hmm. and the Menagerie the other day seeing some of the mannerisms the actor who played Pike in the cage does and then going back and watching these Discovery episodes and seeing that Anson Mount is emulating some of those like exactly the way he sits in the chair sometimes is exactly the way that actor sat in the chair in the cage and it's like wow like that's really cool that you know like obviously he went back and looked at that and said okay this is how Pike sits but they're also not making him this weird chauvinist. They're also not making him just this general angry guy. They're making him a good character while still mm-hmm. keeping it true enough to how we first saw him that it makes sense. Right. So they, maybe they could do that with Cybok too. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Next on my list, uh, Giorgio was just way too nice for my taste. I get that the Mary Universe of Star Trek Discovery, uh, the characters are more multifaceted than not, you know, just a bad guys with, like, cartoonishly bad. Uh, I get that, but uh, she's just way too nice to Michael, I think. See, and like I said, I had that on my likes list because I don't think she's being too nice. I think she's showing that there is some genuine affection there, that maybe it's transferred over from her version of Michael. Maybe there's something else going on. That we, But she gives a hint that she knows more than she's saying. Next, I, I know they were pressed for time in this episode, it being only 40 minutes. We don't see it on screen. I hope it's happened. But Stamets should have contacted Saru before beaming. Next up, we have the transporter chief that wasn't there. In the previous episode, we have Saru coming in, and there was a guy in the transporter room. This episode, there's no one there. In the short trek, Tilly goes in there, and there's no transporter chief. I There should always be someone in there. Maybe there's only right. certain hours that uh well, it's open from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. <laughs> Monday through Friday. Well, I wonder if in a red alert situation, you know, in a battle situation with shields up, you know, maybe maybe that post is supposed to be not manned? I don't know. I, don't, I, I don't know. That was my original thought when Aaron started talking about that, but then he mentioned when Saru went in to transport they were in red alert with the shields up, which brings us back to one of the things that we, we all yeah. didn't like about last week's episode with Saru just transporting off the ship with the shields up. But in this case, they were only in yellow alert at the time, were they not? Possibly. I, I'm not and quite sure. I know things were going on, They were, but the Discovery wasn't in direct danger at that point. They were trying to figure out how to rescue the shuttle, but they weren't in red alert at that point, I don't think. Right. So maybe, yeah, maybe it's a thing that when Red Alert, you know, battle stations, whatever, maybe one of the battle stations is for somebody to be at the transporter controls just in case they need to to do something, evacuate or whatever the case may be. So it's one of those things that it, I didn't even notice it, quite honestly, that the fact that nobody was there. I mm-hmm. did notice that there didn't seem to be any communication, but yet when Tilly went to the bridge, they all knew about the plan already. So there was obvious right. some off-camera communication, whether it was on the run while they were, you know, what we didn't see of their jog to the transporter room or mm-hmm. 
what. But yeah, it would have been nice that, you know, they had the extra time, obviously. We could have seen at least them telling Saru what they were planning. Obviously they did because otherwise Saru would have acted surprised. But right. nobody on the bridge was surprised when Tilly came up to ask if they'd made it. She just, they just knew what was happening already. So obviously that communication had been made. We just didn't see it. Mm-hmm. And with the short runtime, there's no reason why we couldn't have seen it. Yeah, exactly. I think it would have benefited the episode. Yeah, what do I know? <laughs> and fi- finally on my list here, shouldn't the computer have warned Michael that Talos 4 was quarantined? Not unless General Order 7 came after the events of this season. I think we're starting to see why now that it has a death penalty. Yeah, I have that in my uh, unanswered questions. I have some more detail that'll, that'll go into to there. Yeah, it's it's questionable unless it, it what it is. It's an unanswered question for me. It's not a dislike. It's mm-hmm. more of an unanswered question for me. I have a dislike, but it could be an unanswered question. But I didn't like it in the context of this episode. Uh-huh. So I agree with I, I agree with Aaron's points. Um, I'm sure I'll agree with yours, Eric. My biggest complaint was we saw no fallout from last week's episode that Mm. spilled over into this one. I get that it's a serialized story, but at the same time, you're above the planet that you were last week. You are above Saru's homeworld, and we're not going to talk about some of the ramifications. Like, all I wanted was one or two lines. Well, oh, well, the Ba'ul are still dealing with the effects of the blah, 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 so that's why no ships have greeted us, or or something. Like, right. either, like, maybe a day has passed, and they've just been above Kanamar the whole time, uh, dealing with the, the red burst effect and the aftermath, but... I just wanted one or two lines about either from Saru or from someone mentioning the Ba'ul or whatever consequence from last week's episode. And that was my biggest complaint about it. And the worst part of that was this time rift is exploding and they're just like, peace (laughs) out. And they just warp out of there. And it's like, whoa, 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 you're not... You're not concerned about what effects this might have on an entire planet, which mm-hmm. already almost dealt with a whole nother like bad situation. Like I just <laughs> right. That's actually uh, one of my unanswered questions about this time tsunami and the planet below. <laughs> what, yeah. I mean the, the the visual effects that that was really dangerously close to the planet. Yeah, right. and I'm sorry, but if. If it's so great of a shockwave that you're warping the hell out of there, what the hell does this mean for the planet? And no one brought it up. It was just like, you know, Captain Pike just leans back in his chair. Whoa, mission accomplished. Job well done. Let's pat ourselves on the back. And I'm like, where the f*** was the Saru from last week that was like, oh, but my planet and Captain, my planet. Can we circle back to Kaminar and check to see if everyone's doing okay like what the hell yeah i I chalked that up to uh two things first of all i think they like us are trying to forget last episode as much as possible (laughs) yikes i'm i'm hoping that it is brought up next you know maybe not next episode but the next time we see because it looks like next episode is primarily dealing with michael and spock and all that we might not even see discovery much at all (laughs) but i hope at some point they do say okay we need to go we need to go back and check and see if 
that had any effect on the planet or, you know, at least have a mention of, oh, you know, uh, the USS something or other went by Kaminar and found that they had no ill effects from the time tsunami or, so, you know, something to let us know that they at least thought about it. I can understand them in the moment being like, oh, crap, we got to get out of here, you know, because we don't have time to figure out how to save a planet when we're going to get blown up right now. We got to get out of here. Now we can go back and find out. If there's anything we can do. But yeah, no mention whatsoever is a little iffy, but I was okay with it because I did not want to be reminded of last episode while I watched this one. <laughs> so still, it's... Uh, they do such a great job of, you know, keeping that ongoing storyline going. And it was just like, they really dropped the ball on that part. Right. And actually to expand on that a little bit, and I forgot to add it in my dislikes, but again, no mention of Hugh at all in this episode. I really want that storyline to be explored more, and I was hoping that was going to happen here, but nope. I think they will get back to that eventually, but yeah, I agree. That was the one bright point from last week's episode was that whole situation and how he was dealing with being resurrected. So it would have been nice to, to check in on that storyline, especially since obviously they had the time. Right. So Mr. Uh, Dewey, what are your dislikes? I don't have a lot of them. For the most part, my biggest complaint is that it was too short and that we have too many unanswered questions left from it. I like some unanswered questions. Uh, as Mr. Barry said, you know, having some questions presented to us is good. It gives us the desire to watch the next episode. I felt this one left us with too many, but most of which I hope will be explained in future episodes as, as we get to the end of the season. But I did feel it was a little too short. You know, we did have some obvious signs of this off-camera communication. Some of that would have been nice to see. The Hugh storyline would have been nice to see some of that. That was my biggest complaint. Other than that, I think that they were trying to build up the whole backwards number thing as some super big twist. And the second that Amanda said he had a learning disability, I'm like, oh, I bet those numbers are backwards. And then they go through the rest of the episode before she finally figures out, that, oh, the numbers are backwards. I'm like, yeah, I told you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like that even before Leland compared the Vulcan version of the disability to dyslexia, that's what I, immediately I was like, oh, so he had dyslexia. And so I, I bet you those numbers he's reciting are backwards, and that's that'll lead him somewhere. I mean, I didn't guess that it would go to Talos Four. I mean, that that wasn't even in my mind. Right. Nothing in the previews showed anything about that or the bubble-headed aliens from <laughs> Talos. So um, good on them for that. That was a shock when they when they flashed up that Talos Four. I was like, whoa, okay. I I instantly went like, oh, holy crap. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a good oh. Wow. Okay. Okay. Here's a fun thing that I learned from Trek Core. Mm -hmm. Apparently, those coordinates are the coordinates that are stated in a super old Star Trek like role playing book from the 70s. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so, props to the writers for digging that nugget from way back. Like, that was such a deep cut. Uh, it was it, that was good. That was good. Wow. Yeah, that's that's digging deep. Yeah, for sure. Although I do, I still have questions about how the coordinate system works because it's my understanding. It's better from, if you don't think about it. From, <laughs> the fact that I guessed the the backwards number thing way early, I felt like that was supposed to be more of a revelation than it mm -hmm. was, and mm -hmm. I don't think they did. I think they kind of buried the lead on that one a little bit. So I didn't like that, but what it led to was awesome. Another thing I didn't like. 
again, with the switches and dials and all this, like, I get they're trying to tie it back with visual continuity to TOS, but really, do we have to? I, I thought mean, it was I, good. I like it. I, yeah. I, it's, it feels like a personal affront to me because I've been the one saying the entire time, we don't need that. We can accept that technology has moved past that at this point because technology has moved past that now in our time. But as long as you know, as long as we don't end up with a paper printout on the bridge of communication, huh. like in the cage, then I, I guess I'll be happy. Because if they do that, then I'll just be like, oh my gosh, I can't even right now. But the, the one big thing about this story that I didn't like was Sarek trusting Section 31 at all for anything ever. That is completely illogical. I do not, like, I could see him being willing to turn Spock over to the Federation and to their doctors, but specifically to Section 31? Uh-uh. I ain't about that. And I don't know, like I said, Leland is a master manipulator. If he's been able to even manipulate Sarek into believing that he has Spock's best interests at heart, that would be shocking to me, but it just would prove how good Leland is at lying. Mm -hmm. But I just, I can't imagine Sarek trusting a clandestine organization at all, even though they're not that clandestine right now, as we've talked about. But like, I could totally see him saying, you need to turn him over to the Federation and then them maybe being intercepted by Leland in Section 31 on the way to a star base. And then they could have had the whole scene. The, the same scene could have happened without Sarek having to say, I trust Section 31 because I did not like that. Right. But that was it. Really, story-wise, that was the only piece that I didn't really like. Everything else was more just kind of a, I wanted more, so I felt it was too short. And uh, when we get to the unanswered questions, you'll see why I think there were too many of those, too. Right. Speaking of, though. Unanswered questions? Indeed. Yeah, so we are already talked about uh, the time tsunami and the planet below, so I will skip over that. My next question here, Arium seems to be hacked. How is that possible? And is the reason, is it because of her hack that we don't see this kind of augmentation in any other series mm -hmm. in the future. Cause we same thing with Jordy's visor. We see he's, his visor is constantly being hacked. And then the last time it was hacked, he gets ocular implants instead of having that, the actual visor. So I think this may be a reason why we don't see it in the future, but I don't know. It's definitely a possibility. I <clears throat> am pretty sure that Arium was indeed hacked. I don't know exactly how. That leads me to a possible uh, prediction later on. But uh, yeah, I agree. That's very. It's a. It's a good question about what happened there. Yeah, uh, Mr. Barry, do you have any unanswered questions? Oh, aside from the whole "what about Kaminar thing. <laughs> um, right. No, I, I have a lot of unanswered questions that I'm sure will be answered by seasons and I hope so. Yeah. Uh, Kaminar, my, the Kaminar thing was just such a, just a, such a huge sticking point for me. Like in the context of this episode, it, it really doesn't work for me, which, which brings down my score a bit, which we'll talk about. But yeah, I mean, if they tie it all together and this is all solved in some binge-worthy stream of, of consciousness, then then fine. But mm -hmm. uh, we really need to know what's going on with Kaminar after the effects of that. We, we need to see the consequences of them solving these red bursts. 
Right. Not just solving the mystery. I mean, you're dealing with millions, potentially billions of lives on, on a planet. So uh, just just such a mess. It's 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 a dislike that turns into a big unanswered question for me. And that's all I'll say about that. I, too, want to know what happened with the whole Kaminar and the time tsunami. It definitely looked like it was big enough to at least hit the planet, if not engulf the planet. So hopefully we will see whether or not there were any repercussions and what those are. Will they play into the story at all or will it be a throwaway line? I don't know. Will they even mention it again? Unfortunately, I fear that they may not, which would really be disappointing because it is such a big thing. I mean, you literally change the entire evolution of a planet and now you're on to the next little thing. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Come on now. I also want to know what's going on with Arium. I think she was indeed hacked for sure. But what is that? How is that going to play out? In what way was she hacked? Are they going to, is this entity going to have control of her? Is it going to influence her? Is it just using her as a way to get more information from the ship? I am very, it's quite obvious that this is going to play into the rest of the season. They wouldn't make a, as big a point of it if it wasn't, but I'm curious as to how. Um, mm-hmm. I do have a prediction about that, but I actually hope I'm not right. I just have kind of a, what I think would be a fun prediction, but, but at the same time, I don't want it to be that, but it could be, who knows. I do want to know if the Red Angel... And whatever entity modified that probe are actually the same or they have the same intentions as Section 31 believed and now Pike is starting to believe. I think not. I believe that these are opposing forces, that whatever sent that probe back to attack them and this red angel are in opposition with each other. And are there's some sort of fight in the future going on that's spilling out into time. And that's what we're dealing with here. And this red angel is, I don't want to say on our side necessarily, but it seems to be doing good you know, more objectively than this other thing, which modified their probe, sent it back and tried to kill them. But I do also want to know why did this force or whatever they're dealing with need to modify their probe and sending it back instead of sending their own tech? Why did they use Discovery's own probe against them instead of just sending one of their own machines? And that plays also into we see in the future or we see in the clip for next episode. We see a bunch of probes like that. Oh, snap. What if it's Feeger? (laughs) Oh, no, please. No. Come on. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, one more dislike. I, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I'm very right. sorry. No uh, about the whole, because I, I just thought of it. The whole, and I don't know if we talked about it in the pre-show or not, but the whole Leland connected to Burnham's, like, as the death of her parents. I hate this whole, the look how small the galaxy is. I hate that. I, I hate that feeling. Not everything has to be connected. Um, it, it just felt like such a, and, and maybe that's an unanswered question. Like what the hell's up with that whole thing? Mm. It's, it's, it's opening up another can of worms that I don't know necessarily works for this arc. Mm-hmm. Unless they solve the red angel thing early, kind of like what they did last season and you know we get an episode of just kind of like decompress and tell the next mystery but yeah i that's a big unanswered question for me too is and and again it's like a dislike to to an unanswered question but i i just i really don't like the whole look how small the galaxy is look at all these consequences Mm -hmm. i feel that i understand that i 
I kind of liked that just because it did give Giorgio that that edge she needed to to gain over Leland. And I'm curious to see as to because she doesn't say that he killed them, but he was responsible for their deaths. So how does that play? Did he give an order that caused that? Did he fail to do something? Did he fail to respond to something? You know, exactly how was he responsible? What, you know, how directly was he responsible? It It is a very unanswered question, but I think it's something that they're hinting at because they're either going to explore it in this season or they're going to explore it in the Section 31 series, which makes me even more hope. This, this episode, again, really, really makes me hope that that happens because I love this interaction between Leland and George O, and I want to see it play out more, but I don't want to see it distract too much from the storyline that we've got going on in Discovery. I think it deserves its own show to tell that story, so I really hope that that's what we get. My next unanswered question is, was General Order 7 actually in effect at this time? In the cage, there's no mention of the order. The The episode ends, they don't indicate when it was instituted. In the menagerie, they don't indicate specifically when it was instituted either. And in season one of Discovery, we did hear Cornwell tell Laurel that the Federation has no death penalty at all. Ooh, good point. Good and, point. And, of course, the shuttle computer had no issue setting a course for Telos 4. It didn't even mm-hmm. say, like, are you sure? It just... <laughs> <laughs> Did you enter the right coordinates? You might want to check that. Yeah. Are, you, are you really sure about that? However, in the Menagerie, it is specifically stated that the Enterprise was the only starship to ever visit Telos 4. So I'm wondering if Discovery never actually... That's why I think that we're not going to see much mm-hmm. of Discovery at all in next episode. I think that it's only going to be Michael and Spock on Talos, and that's it. And but, this... But I, up- yeah, I, but I like how those paths are diverging. Yeah, yeah. no, no, no. I'm, I'm oh. not complaining about it. That's not a complaint. That's just kind of an unanswered question as oh, to... Oh, shoot. I, I'm sorry. I'll, I have one more dislike, but I'll save it after your point's made. I'm sorry. It just, like, <laughs> another thing popped up. <laughs> All right. Um, but like I said, in the Menagerie, they did state the Enterprise was the only starship to visit Talos Four. So I'm thinking that Discovery is not going to go there. It's only going to be the shuttle with Michael and Spock, and they're going to go there. And this is going to solidify the relationship that Spock has with the Talosians in order to bring the events of the Menagerie into into the realm of possibility. Because I can't jump just straight from the cage to the Menagerie and think, well, wait, so Spock had no communication with them in between this time, but he somehow knows that they'll accept this and be willing to do this. This kind of ties that together, I think. But it also would kind of explain why, you know, maybe this is where that order is instituted. And that's why we end up with General Order 7 for the Menagerie and everything is, you know, oh, we've got a death penalty on the books now. That still seems a little outrageous to me in the world of Star Trek, but we've got to, it's canon, we've got to deal with it. And then, of course, why does Giorgio have such a soft spot for Michael? I want to know. That's an unanswered question as of right now. I think that they're going to answer it. I think that they're all signs point to them answering it. They just haven't yet, and I want to know. So that's it for me. Why don't we score it? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Just, just uh, one last dislike. Oh, that's right. That's right. You had that. Yeah, um, go. I don't know if how much sense of time we get. And again, I think this is I think this is something Discovery needs to work on is the is the passage of time. And this episode definitely could have used five more minutes to uh, have a little bit more breathing room. But it just seemed like between everything going on, I, I mean... It seemed like Michael got to Vulcan super quick. 
And I can see if, you know, the events of the A plot and B plot are taking on off at different times and yeah to get the story moving along but i it, yeah it's something that discovery needs to work on is is the passage of of time i feel you there i also really hate shuttles having warp capability but that's a separate issue oh uh but another continuity uh tie-in that that i read about pike doing the plasma burst thing mm-hmm. was the same thing that spock did in the galileo 7 oh wow that's pretty cool yeah, so digging it. Yeah, <laughs> see, no see, they, they're great when it comes to connecting canon, but just just space some things out, calm down a bit, and we'll be fine. <laughs> True that. So yeah, why don't we score it? Who wants to go first? Well, I, I want to hear your... Uh, it looks like you're taking a page out of my book and creating uh, ranks, so I, I want to hear uh, your... All rank. right. Uh, so... Yeah, acting captain, what the hell? <laughs> Yeah, so I scored it three and a half pips. Uh, obviously, that rank doesn't exist. Um, You're almost a captain, but not quite. Right. That's that's where I'm going with it. You're captain junior grade you've been you've been given the rank of captain but you're not actually a captain i was gonna call it like commander cisco because he was basically he was the commander of design held the rank of commander but was like the lead on that on that ship he, it was more of a position yeah. but i went with acting captain three and a half pips all right yeah, and Mr. Barry, what do you score it? Just because the I I did think this was a, a marked improvement over last week, but with some of the dislikes and unanswered questions I had, um, I could not give this a full captain rank. Uh, but it is a solid commander. I think uh, what I liked about this episode heavily outweighed the dislikes. Uh, I was really excited to finally see Spock. That's part of the deeper mystery of the season. It took seven episodes to get here, but here we are. For that reason, I just give it a full three pips, Commander. And we we were both wrong about where in the episode the scene that we finally see Spock took place. You thought it was going to be right at the beginning, like with uh, number one, and I thought it was going to be the ending scene of the episode, and of course it was almost smack dab in the middle. I think it was 14 minutes in to a 40-minute episode, so just a little bit on the uh, the front half side. So you were closer than I was, <laughs> but neither one of us were exactly right. I went ahead and scored this one a fleet captain, gave it five pips, Seems appropriate to me since they are bringing in the events of the cage and the menagerie into play now, and uh, that was the rank that Pike held in the menagerie, uh, and it was oh, confirmed nice to still exist, quote unquote, in the Next Generation Officer Manual role playing game. So I'm I'm taking a deep cut from an old role playing game, and yep. they did show in that role playing game there was a rank of fleet captain, and it was five pips. So I thought this was an amazing episode. The things I didn't like. You know, the biggest thing I didn't like was that there wasn't more of it. So I can't really score it down just for that. I really thought this was an amazing episode, uh, second only right now to the premiere. So I, uh, I'm really digging it, and I hope we get more like this. So nice. All right, predictions for episode eight and beyond. So I think some point, some episode in the near future, they're going to reach out to Harry Mud and try to acquire time travel technology from him. It would be interesting. I, I I would love to see Mud again. I don't know about that in particular, but 
it, it's interesting. I mean, we know that he had access to it. Maybe they, you know, maybe not, maybe they don't reach out directly to him to get it, but they reach out to him for his source on where to get it and that sort of thing. So, uh, Mr. Barry predictions. Yeah. There, there's something up with, with Arium. Mm-hmm. We still haven't had a tie to the Calypso short. Mm-hmm. Every other short Trek has had a connection to the season, but the more and more we talk about time travel, uh, this arc, and now with Arium bringing in the AI side of it, I really would like to have an Arium focus episode to maybe deal with this issue. Uh, it'd be great to see her past to determine what's happening in this arc mm-hmm. and how she deals with this virus. It's surprising that she doesn't have at least some kind of firewall, but considering the probe was coming back from 500 years in the future that would seem kind of crazy i want to throw this out there maybe it's a little bit wild what if it's something to do with the borg oh snap (laughs) so i mean i'm not predicting that but my 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 real prediction is that because of calypso i'm wondering if this virus that arium is infecting with gets so bad that they might have to ditch her body and her consciousness becomes the AI that we saw in Calypso. Interesting. Mm. I don't know. Just kind of throwing it out there. I just, there, there's gotta be something to tie Calypso mm-hmm. back with, with the main show. Right. Yeah. I definitely think they're going to end up tying that in somehow. Although it's curious now that they've been greenlit for season three, whether or not we'll see them actually ditch the, the discovery, but who knows? Uh, it's it's definitely something that uh, we need to figure out. How did they tie in? I haven't. I don't recall them tying in Runaway yet. Is, uh, there, some, is there something I missed on that one? Uh, no, that's just Tilly being Tilly. Unless unless somehow these people come to the rescue in some way. <laughs> You know, she has the technology to to recrystallize dilithium, which now that they don't have a spore drive, or they're not using the spore drive for whatever sure. reason, and, maybe and, maybe that'll come into play somehow. I don't know. Yeah, and that may solve the whole argument between um, Jet Reno and Stamets. Like that mm-hmm. might solve that whole conundrum. So th- that's a good point. But you know, aside from the time travel future aspect, and even what happened in Calypso. They were a thousand years in the future. And so we're getting all these like references of different time points. I don't know. Is this like Discovery's temporal Cold War? Does Mm -hmm. that factor in? And I know, you know, Enterprise kind of wrapped up that whole temporal Cold War story arc. But at the same time, we had there's all these bureaus in, in Star Trek. Like Voyager showed us you know, the starship relativity, a whole starship that could travel in time in right. deep space nine. We had the, the, the guys that were monitoring the timeline. Mm-hmm. So th- there's so much going on with these different reference points. I hope in some way, star Trek discovery can tie this mystery into, you know, maybe this was another faction of, of the temporal cold war, something like that. And I just, you have all this lore that Star Trek has dealt with time travel so many times that there has to be a way that we can tie in this new mystery in some fashion. And that's why I am super excited for the preview because holy crap, we get, 
Telogians, Talos 4. I mean, is it, what's going to happen with General Order 7? Is whatever happens this season going to be so terrible that Starfleet has to enact, in the first time of Federation history, a death penalty? That is serious. And I'm so glad that Discovery is really going there and tying it with Spock. That's why when he is trying to help Pike in the menagerie, it makes so much sense why Spock is seemingly abandoning all logic to risk his career, risk everything to help his former captain out. And I cannot wait to see that play out in this in this whole season. I, I think that's going to tie back in a major way, and I'm super excited for it. Um, my predictions for next episode, episode eight, is that the Telosians are going to read Michael's mind and know that she works with Pike now, that she is involved with the person that had been on their planet before, um, but they're not going to tell her. They're not going to mention any of this. But we're going to see... That they see that. That's really my only prediction for that. I, I don't really know what else is going to happen because this is the one secret they did keep very well. None of the previews showed the Telosians or Talos Four or anything. So that whole thing was a great surprise, a great shock when we saw that. So I'm I'm looking forward to this next episode quite a bit. As for Beyond, I'm thinking that perhaps Arium ends up becoming the Red Angel. She was dun, hacked dun, dun. by yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking that she was hacked by the opposition. Like I said, I think that we're dealing with an opposing force that sent the probe, and that force hacked her. But I'm thinking that maybe she or the Discovery crew or something happens to where they overcome that and Mm. and sending her in time to become the angel. You know, I don't know. It's it's a stretch. And on the one hand, it would be a kind of a fun stretch. But on the other hand, I don't think I want it to go that way. But it would be interesting either way. I don't know, but that's I'm just throwing that out there as a wacky, bold prediction for the future. Yeah, no, I dig both your predictions there. Likewise, I'm looking forward to next week. Mr. Barry, yes. if we were to look for you on the internet, how would we find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at TrekkieB47. And then, if you want to hear all about power rangers my other fandom you can check out ranger command power hour also on the four eyed radio network that's on twitter at ranger command ph very nice uh mr dewey how would we find you i'm available on most social media platforms including instagram twitter and untapped at eric j dewey and of course uh, don't forget to follow the rest of the four eyed radio network we're on twitter at the sasquatch net and on facebook at the four eyed radio network Awesome. And if you were to look for me, you can find me on most social media platforms at Nova Charter. Thank you all for listening. If you can do us a solid, won't you rate and give us some uh, stars on... Uh, five star five, it. Five stars on go iTunes. Go go full fleet cannon on our podcast. <laughs> yeah. Until next time, live long and prosper, and let's watch more Star Trek. Oh, yeah. You have been listening to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network. You can find us on the web at sfescapepod.com.
Follow us on Twitter at SFEscapePod. Like us on Facebook.com slash SFEscapePod.